Hello, space fans. Welcome to a new edition of the Supercluster podcast. We are at Cape Canaveral. This is Robin C. Mangle, Chief of Content of Supercluster. I'm here with Chris Gebhardt, NASA Spaceflight Assistant Managing Editor, and Kinia Wallace, an engineer for Rocket Crafters. We're here to talk about Rocket Crafters, and it's a fairly new company here at the Space Coast. They're specifically at Cocoa Beach, right, Kinia? Cocoa. Cocoa. Yeah. The, I the call lo- everything. The locals here get very angry yeah. when you. I know. I tweeted that this whole area was Cape Canaveral and everyone got mad. This is the difference between Daytona Beach and Daytona Beach Shores. Okay, I need to learn more about Florida. (laughs) Kineo, we're here to chat with you about the company that you work for and some of the innovations you guys are attempting in rocketry and spacecraft design. Last week, you guys had a test firing, or were supposed to. (laughs) You had the media over there. Very high pressure situation. That's for sure. Very rare, though, for a company such as yourselves developing this kind of technology to invite the media over to see what you're doing. I think that's a very impressive thing. It's bold. It's brave. (laughs) We got to see you guys under pressure. And my personal opinion is, even though the firing didn't happen, we got to see a snapshot of an early rocket spacecraft development company in their early days trying to break through. And it was very rare and very cool. And Chris, you weren't at the firing. Sadly, no. But I'm sure you have some questions. Yeah. So with all the startups and everyone seems to have like Rocket in their name, right? <laughs> uh, tell us a little bit about Rocket Crafters, how the company got started and what its, what its vision is. Like where does it fit into the larger puzzle that is spaceflight? Yeah. So originally Rocket Crafters was founded in 2010, even though we really haven't been relevant up until about 2017 when we started our DARPA contract to design a 5,000 pound thrust hybrid rocket engine test article to show the scalability of our technology. So our hybrids, instead of like what Virgin Galactic uses, which is an HTPB based system with, I believe they use high test hydrogen peroxide. We use ABS plastic, which is the same material that Lego bricks are made out of as our fuel and then nitrous oxide as our oxidizer. So we're pretty much using laughing gas and Legos to launch our rockets. So so you'll step on it and you'll hurt your foot, but you'll be laughing and delirious. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and flying on a rocket. A, a lot of the times rocket companies have to worry about some sort of leaks or something like that when they're filling. And our way of seeing if there's any sort of leaks is if our more serious engineers are laughing. <laughs> Kineo, just tell us about the technology. I talked to you, one of your board members, Sean, and he mentioned that what you're trying to accomplish here is the fuel is... The engine? Is yeah. that correct? Yeah. Can so, you explain that concept? Yeah. So a hybrid rocket is more similar to a solid rocket engine than a liquid bipropellant. So with the liquid bipropellant, you've got multiple different tubes that are and turbo pumps or electric turbo pumps in this case of some other companies where you're using multiple moving parts to pressurize and put the oxidizer and the fuel into the main combustion chamber of the engine, mix it, and then eject it out the nozzle. Whereas with a hybrid rocket engine, much like a solid, its primary structure is a cylindrical tube and the combustion reaction occurs inside of that tube. So the hybrid's fuel is that cylindrical tube. Mm. In our case, it's that ABS plastic, which we actually 3D print using a 3D printer. So the main engine itself is just a plastic tube and then all that combustion reactants go through the nozzle. So there are three major parts in our engine. It's the injector, Mm -hmm. it's the fuel grain, and then the nozzle. And other than that, there's no real major parts to it. 
Are you guys the only company doing something like this? There's one other U.S. company that I'm aware of currently that's using hybrid rocket engines, and that's Virgin Galactic in mm-hmm. their Starship program. Okay. I believe it's Starship. It's not Starship. It's, no, it's SpaceX. No, no. It's um, Spaceship 2. Yes, Spaceship Spaceship. That's what it is. Easily confusable. Yes. Yeah, SpaceX is Starship. They're building one right down the street from us, actually. (laughs) That's where I first saw it for the first time. I was visiting Kineo at Rocket Crafters. He's like, go check out the backyard for a minute. I went back there and I saw Starship, which is pretty cool that SpaceX is you guys' neighbor. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's pretty cool to think, too, just jumping off of what you said about the 3D printing, the, the actual rocket case, right? And, I mean, we tend to think of the solid rockets as being these, you know, huge pressure chambers that have to have, you know, like really tough aluminum steel, you know, to go through all their flight environments and everything. But but can you talk a little bit about like the advantages of 3D printing and how it, and the strength of of, of the rocket motor? Well, another thing is that we're running at a much lower pressure than most engines. So most engines are running at thousands of PSI. Our engine right now, at least, we're running at about 750 PSI. So that's much, 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 much lower. Right. Because we're, we're not going for like a Ferrari engine, like SpaceX is with, with the Merlin and the, the new Raptor engine, they're trying to eat the most efficiency out of that as possible. Right. So, and, but that's because they're going to be using these engines over and over and over and over again. Whereas ours is just a plastic tube. So we can sacrifice some of that efficiency that you get by cranking up the pressure through it just being a more disposable engine. So it actually costs more if we were to try and recover our rockets than it is for us to just make a new one. And that's a fascinating point because this is. is a point I've been making in in a lot of in a lot of scenes, right, is that there's so much focus on reusability and reusability can be beneficial for much larger yeah. and expensive systems. But like with, with you guys and and I know Rocket Lab too, like the systems yeah. are so small and efficient and compact, it would actually cost more to the customer exactly. if you were to recover and reuse and you can find ways of reducing costs without reusing. Yeah. So so to go back to the 3D printing, so our fuel is a 3D printed plastic tube of ABS, but we also work with metal printing as well. So our injector that we have is also 3D printed. So that's another major change that we've made to hybrids is a big issue with hybrids is the atomization of the oxidizer. So when it transitions from a liquid into a gas, a lot of the time they have issues that cause combustion instabilities where it goes in as a liquid, the engine heats up to a certain temperature, and then it forces the pressure back, and then it slows down the flow rate of the oxidizer, and then the pressures in the engine drop, and then it increases and it decreases and increases and decreases, and that's called chugging. So if you look up hybrid rockets on YouTube or something like that, you can see a lot of them where you can see a very physical pulsation in the rocket plume. And so through specific innovations that we've created with our injection system, due to metal 3D printing, we've been able to completely eliminate that issue. Wow. Nice. I know. (laughs) There's something about your technology being environmentally sustainable. I remember last year, you had your first media day last year, and I parked my car probably 50 feet from the (laughs) test. Which, that's not a thing in space. <laughs> I, I, I have visions of that yeah. too, uh, <laughs> yeah. from 1996. Just parking by it. Blew up <laughs> shortly after liftoff. Right. And the insurance companies for the cars were like, what happened to the car now? Yeah. Like, what Blow up a rocket? Yeah. No. But yeah, I just, I noticed that it's not a common thing. 
in a no. on near, mm-hmm. a nearly residential area. We're close. It was pretty close to. Like, yeah, it's yeah. an industrial area. We've right. got a we've got an asphalt plant mm-hmm. on one side of us, mm-hmm. and then an RV repair shop on the other, mm-hmm. and then across the street we've got a auto salvage right. location where people are. Yeah, there's, there's people. people there all, yeah. and our test stand is maybe what fifty feet away from the control room. Yeah, that. that's another thing. It's uh, very close to the control room. Yeah, so I mean, it's because with. It's it's another advantage that hybrids have. The fuel and oxidizer is stored in two different states of matter. Mm-hmm. So the fuel is a solid, and then the oxidizer is a liquid. Okay. And so with that being two different states, in order to get a combustion reaction, you have to have two gases interfacing with each other. So a good way to think about it is like logs that are on a fire. It's very similar to a hybrid, just a much slower reaction because you're not adding nearly as much oxygen or as much pressure. A log is not just going to spontaneously combust no matter what you do to it unless you add heat to it. Right. And if it's in a spot where there's not much oxygen to it, say it's an enclosed container, it's not going to catch fire at all. No matter how much heat you add to it, it just chars like charcoal. So through that, there's not really any chance of spontaneous detonation. And even if you were to just dump the nitrous oxide on the engine, I mean, you guys saw that during the test fire Mm -hmm. that we attempted to have last week where the oxidizer flowed through the engine and nothing happened Mm -hmm. because it didn't get hot enough. It has to be just the right conditions for it to ignite. And if those conditions aren't right, then nothing happens. I mentioned that's part of the learning and testing process, right? Is figuring out like, especially in uh, like, especially in Florida where humidity plays a (laughs) drastic, right? You know, like there's that old joke, like wait 10 minutes and the weather will change. The humidity can plummet and skyrocket. Yeah, very quickly. Yeah, so this particular engine that we're testing now, we call it the Cyclone engine because it uses that special injection system with a vortex system that actually allows for our regression rates to approach that of a solid rocket engine, Mm. which is unheard of with a hybrid without adding some sort of additives or pre-burners or extra things to it to add complexity. We use what's called rocket candy to ignite this engine, which is just a mix of potassium nitrate and sugar. Literally candy. Yeah. Sounds like a Halloween tree. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wouldn't recommend eating it. Okay. Um, yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> Thank you for that. No. <laughs> uh, but anyways, we started testing this engine in the winter. And in Florida in the winter, the humidity is much lower. So while we were testing it, we weren't really having these issues with ignition. And the past couple of weeks, the humidity has really gone through the roof. And... The planet's on fire. Yeah. So, <laughs> Before we get to last it. week's test and, you know, what happened, sure. let's go back a year. Yeah. To that first mm-hmm. public test firing that you did, which was successful. Right. Yes. Tell us where you guys were a year ago and tell us about that test. What were you testing? Where were you then a year ago? So at that point, we were still more benchmarking our test stand mm-hmm. than our engine is in itself because we were still having some issues with the combustion stabilities. Mm-hmm. We were seeing some inconsistencies in manufacturing because of the method that we were using at that point in time. So at that point, we had a, a more traditional showerhead injection system, which looks just like a showerhead at the fore end of the rocket. So it's literally just a showerhead shooting the oxidizer down the engine. And that was causing some combustion instabilities. And then with our manufacturing method that we were using at the time, we were seeing issues with the amount of time it took to produce it. And mm-hmm. there were some inconsistencies because at that point in time, we were building it upwards in a vertical method mm-hmm. and by doing it vertically you start having issues with the gravity after it gets to a certain height right. on an abs based printer so over the past year we you guys realized this during printing yes yeah, so, the gravity was having yeah so you could see just a slight 
it'd be it's kind of like the leaning tower of pisa right. where it would just kind of lean to the side just a little bit mm -hmm. and that little bit is all it takes to make it so it won't fit in the motor case oh wow and or if we can't overwrap it with the carbon fiber that we do to increase its rigidity mm -hmm. so we started investigating different methods and Actually, I came up with the two methods that we have now for both the injection and the printing, and there's some other systems that we're adding into that as well. So now we print our grains in a horizontal manner. So it's literally laying on its side while it prints, mm -hmm. which actually allows for us to virtually build the fuel grain as big as we want, mm -hmm. as long as we can have an X and Y position on the 3D printer that can go. So it moves through the printer. Exactly. Well, no. So imagine it like a, a game of Battleship, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the fuel grain is on the Battleship board, and you've got the X and Y positions, and the print head will go to those positions on the board. Oh, uh, okay. So with it being super big lengthwise, it's really easy to make a 3D printer really long, mm -hmm. but making it really tall is really difficult. So if we were to make it really tall, we'd have to do multiple segments, much like the shuttle SRBs. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, you have seals that can cause gap or have gaps. And you could see an issue that you saw with the, I believe it was the Columbia, mm -hmm. where the they blew a hole in the side of the solid fuel grain and mm -hmm. it ended up causing the shuttle to explode. Right. So by eliminating those segments and making it one single piece that eliminates failure points, further increasing the simplicity of the system. And then our injection system, which we finished producing at the end of the last year because it's a 3D printed hardware. So we had to work back and forth with the 3D printing companies to design it specifically for 3D printing production mm -hmm. because it's not as simple as some people think it's not you just design something you throw it at the you can't just call just, a 3d printer and be like hey print this yeah you That's have to you, you, you have to design the part to work exactly on that 3d printer because wow. there are certain parameters that it requires so like for example you can't have something overhang more than 50 degrees mm -hmm. if you've got something overhanging more than 50 degrees then it'll just fall off or it won't print properly so you have to take all those parts into consideration for the printing so after getting all those put together so we've got the horizontally printed fuel grain that is now more consistently produced mm -hmm. and faster to produce which reduces cost for production right and then we've got our new 3d printed injection system that is allowing for a more effective atomization of the oxidizer and it, it also encourages a lot more mixing because it creates basically a hurricane inside of the engine so it's it's spinning really fast. It's like putting it in a blender. Mm -hmm. And it's just mixing the fuel and oxidizer so well inside of that engine that you're getting a much more efficient combustion reaction. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's why so many people are starting to be interested in rocket crafters. Mm -hmm. You said you started in the rocket crafters was started in 2010. Yes. Did you guys have to wait for 3D printing technology to catch up? Or was it sort of like, well, 3D printing is becoming more prominent? larger manufacturing, larger additive manufacturing. Did that play into Rocket Crafter's development at all? Or was the technology already there? I mean, a lot of that was before I came to the company. Mm -hmm. uh, I came to the company in 2017, right when we got the DARPA contract. Mm -hmm. That's right after I graduated. But a lot of the work with Rocket Crafters at the beginning time was it was more just proving that you could use ABS as a fuel. The plastic. Yeah, you yeah. could use that plastic as a fuel. It wasn't really printers that were holding back it was mm -hmm. more just showing that it could actually work because a lot of people when you say hey i'm using lego bricks as rocket fuel they look at you like you're crazy yeah because nobody's going to try and use lego bricks as fuel even though they're it's the, it's made out of petroleum just right. like the rp1 that's on 
a lot of rockets today. It's just a different state of the material. I can I can understand just listening to this why DARPA was interested yeah. in, in this. So can you tell us a little bit about that about that DARPA contract? And when you said scalability too, that that's part of what you're trying to show here. Can can you what, yeah. what, what do you mean yeah. by scalability? Okay, yeah. so so what we're testing right now is called a lab scale engine. So it's it's not an engine that's going to be able to take a rocket to space. So it's only two and a half kilonewtons or five hundred and fifty mm. pounds. So at that scale, you could maybe send a model rocket up, but other than that, it's not going to be able to do much at all. So by scalability, we mean making it much bigger. So the, the engine that we designed for DARPA was a 5,000-pound engine. So it produces 5,000 pounds of thrust. And this engine is much, much, much bigger. I believe Robin took quite a few pictures that we... And we'll, have. Ha- we'll have them in the post of this podcast for people to check out, but yeah. So the, this engine is probably about twice as tall as a person is. Whereas the current engine that we're testing is only about a meter tall or three feet. Mm. So it's, it's a big physical difference in mm. sizing. But the thing is with these engines, when we're finalized with the final designs, it's so scalable that I can just hit the 2x button on it. And I now have a two times powerful rocket engine. Mm. Wow, this sounds like playing Kerbal Space with tweakable scale. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's exactly, I, I can design an engine in almost a week. In a week, I can go from... I need an engine that can do this to a completed design. Wow. Is rapid uh, <laughs> fabrication something that DARPA, DARPA is interested in? Oh, yes. Uh, rapid prototyping, well, as yeah. you call it. So, so once we have the infrastructure in mm-hmm. place, so the 3D printers, composite winders, all that fun stuff, mm-hmm. we could go from specs on an engine probably to a completed ready-to-test engine in a month. Wow. And that includes the actual printing yeah that's the production the of the engine when we have the so right now we're a startup company so we don't yeah. have the money to have that kind of facility mm-hmm. but when we have those facilities we could easily go from design to test within a month that's incredible because there's so much in the space community now about not just reusability and yeah. cadence but short notice rapid deployment yeah. Rapid de- a, 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 yeah a perfect example of that is with that darpa contract when we were awarded it within a matter of months we had submitted the design to DARPA and they had approved it. Wow. Wow. So not only that had quickly? not only fast for the yeah, yeah not, that's not, fast for <laughs> DARPA. Yeah. Yeah. So not only had we come up with a design and presented it to them, they had gotten a chance to go through it and they approved everything to it. And so right now we're in the process of manufacturing both that engine and the test stand for testing it. Wow. Just for context, DARPA and without DARPA we wouldn't have the internet. And a couple other things. Radio communication. I don't think we'd be able to do this podcast without DARPA at some point in the eighties doing something. Crazy. I mean, it's just like NASA where like things like memory foam are from NASA. Most right. people yeah. don't realize that yeah. a lot of these things come from some sort of government program. Space exploration too. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If you if you used your phone to tell you where to go today, that's uh, space exploration. Said, that's yeah. space exploration. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. So to see DARPA interested in rocket crafters so soon is pretty yeah. crazy. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Were you guys? What, what was the reaction? I always wonder. You know, you get your first big like recognition, your first contract. How did you guys react? I know you said you joined. I joined same time. Yeah, about the same time the contract mm. was awarded. So mm. I wasn't really involved mm. in the proposal of the project mm. but i was there as we were getting everything ready for it and mm. it was just pretty the, exciting it was there was so much excitement in the company it's it's amazing to think about a scrappy little company that at that point we didn't even have a facility right getting a contract from a three or well that's not a three-letter 
government, but a large government agency. We could call it a three. Yeah. <laughs> DARPA is, I mean, it's an important exactly. agency. They facilitate a lot of breakthrough technology. And in a lot of test flights that, that we've seen recently from Rocket Lab, from SpaceX, mm-hmm. yeah. DARPA funded DARPA. technology right. demonstrations on yeah. them too. And it's not just the payloads. It's as you guys are talking about, it's it's the rocket technology too. Yeah. So let's talk about last week. <laughs> and I'm sorry, Kim. Yeah. So Rocket Crafters hosted a really great media day. Shout out to Mary for putting that Mary, all together. Mary did work. She did a lot of great work. You guys had a probably a couple dozen reporters there, yeah. local news outlets, a couple of national ones, some photographers, and they were there to witness a test firing and sort of tour your facility, uh, which has improved. So much. So you got, you know, I understand what it's like to be scrappy. Super Cluster is a scrappy startup, just like you guys. And we understand, you know, I remember last year we went in there, you guys were super scrappy. It was basically a warehouse. It's still a warehouse. Yeah, it's still a warehouse, but it's decorated now. Yeah. There's nice printed signs. paint on the walls. It's like putting lipstick on a pig. That's okay. It looked great. But then again, you got to remember that SpaceX's main manufacturing facility started out the same way. Same way. Hey. It's exactly. I don't know what civilians, or I call them civilians because I don't know where <laughs> space reporters, but Kennedy Space Center isn't some like, you know, 20, you know, year 3000 facility where you go there and it's state of the art. Space exploration is very rudimentary sometimes in its display, yeah. right? And it's just the way that startups go. And even larger companies have warehouses that just look like warehouses. It's function over form. Exactly. Yeah, it's a much more eloquent way that, to put it than I would have yeah. <laughs> or was about to, actually. But the test stand is, I, I know I'm being crude, but it's in the driveway. Is oh, yeah. That, oh, yeah. That, yeah. Is that what I yeah. is that it, what it's, it's a rusted out, <laughs> yeah. kind of. Yeah. It, or at least it looks like it's a trailer. It's, yeah. It's... It's there, and the, yeah. and you you park your car. Your car is literally fifty feet away from it. Yeah. So we got in there. The found one of the founders of Rocket Crafters is a former astronaut. Correct. You want to just yeah. tell us a little quick about him? So Sid Gutierrez, he was a space shuttle astronaut. Mm-hmm. I he's going to hate me for this, but I can't remember what flights he was on. Oh, wait, does yeah. Chris know? You have me sitting here. Continue talking. Yeah, I'll yeah. This all right. I, it's funny that Chris doesn't know either. So we yeah. all don't know. It's fine. Yeah. So but Sid, Sid Gutierrez. Yeah, Sid Gutierrez. He's actually living in New Mexico right now. He's mm-hmm. on our board. He's our chairman of the board. And he worked with Sierra Nevada for an extensive amount of time as mm-hmm. well. And on Spaceport New Mexico work as well okay. before working with Rocket Crafters. So he's got an extensive amount of experience with the aerospace and the space industry. Right. Way more than I, he's probably even told us because I'm sure that I mean, he's been to space, right? Yes. Oh, Chris has got the data. He was the pilot of STS-40 in 1991 and the commander of STS-59 in 1994. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And I remember when we first got the facility, this is even before the first media day, mm-hmm. we were, I think it was when we were moving in and he was making coffee and he spilt some sugar on the ground mm-hmm. and he ended up sweeping it. Wow. So it's so at it's this point he, at this point he was still he was CEO. Mm-hmm. This is before he stepped down and Green Bagley, mm-hmm. our current CEO took the position but we had our ceo and chairman of the board who is a sh- ex-shuttle pilot sweeping the floor in a warehouse which is just pretty something crazy. you don't see every day yeah. at all you know it's pretty but, but, crazy. Show, but i mean it kind of goes to show like i mean we there, there are people we hold to be larger than life yeah right and and to be our you don't expect and, them to be sweeping. And they sweep the yeah. floor just like we do when we spill my, sugar. Yeah. 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 my experience with astronauts especially shuttle astronauts is that they're humble 
Yes, they're humble everyday humble. people sometimes that did an extraordinary uh, thing. And space has a way of changing that. That's the true. The overview effect is it's real. very, very real when yeah. you look down on the earth and you see it without all the arbitrarily drawn lines right? that you it's true. never it's, see on the ground, but you pass the signs and you see on the maps and yeah. everything. And I think that's why astronauts come back to earth and they get involved in projects like rocket crafters oh, because yeah. they're inspired to do more. They want to take what they've done and help other people get to where they are. I mean, they want to bring it to everybody. Right, yeah. exactly. And I think that an astronaut seeing rocket crafters as sort of an accessible or a path yeah. to more accessible space exploration. Well, I know a big thing with Sid was the, the safety. Mm -hmm. So Sid is very much a very safety-focused person. So when he found out that these engines literally couldn't detonate like any other rocket engine that you see uh, today, he got super interested in it and mm -hmm. excited and wanted to help bring that to the forefront of space technology. Because, I mean, imagine if you had an option between going to space on a bomb or on a jet plane. Mm -hmm. which would you pick if you think about it a lot of the modern launch vehicles now have an explosive uh, yeah that's equivalency absolutely to a nuclear true bomb yeah. yeah so if you had something that so the biggest danger with what we have with nitrous is that it would overpressurize. so in that case it'd be like a soda can popping okay so imagine a soda can popping or a bomb a bomb yeah well i imagine this is applications too like i mean nasa one of the pilots that just launched last week was the green propellant yeah. fusion mission right mm -hmm. which is all about finding greener safer to mm -hmm. handle for, for thruster fuel instead yeah. of the really toxic hydrazine that we use yeah. now that when you spill that like oh. it can take you two three weeks to if you're lucky to clean all that up but but i imagine too this this has pretty good ramifications and positive ramifications right for transporting these segments oh yeah the the solid rocket motors for the Atlases, the Deltas, the shuttles, it, it, and SLS yeah. are when they arrive by rail. I mean, yeah. they're, they're they're trucked across the country. Yeah. If you knew how many times I dropped those fuel grains in the lab, you'd be baffled. Because and nothing and happens. Saw, nothing and, happens. And if I saw it happen, I'd probably have that fleeting Actually, moment. We'd of be like, like oh. oh, good, this is it. Like, <laughs> so speaking of Kineo handling rockets in front of the media. <laughs> um, so let's go through the test firing last week. We all arrived. We said, called in, talked to the media. That was really great. Always fun to talk to an astronaut. And then you guys brought us into, is, do you guys call it mission control? Is it mission control uh, it, or like a test fire room? It's, it's the lab. It's the office. It's it's everything. Room. It's yeah, really it's everything. It's also the it's media room. It's one of the air-conditioned rooms yeah. in the building. The air -conditioned oh. room. <laughs> well, yeah. the, the, also the media now that's, room. <laughs> now that's important if you've yeah. ever yeah. been to Florida yeah. in the summer. Yeah. So you guys got ready, you know, the firing. Yeah. And tell us just what happened. Yeah, so we, we, we loaded our nitrous. We pressurized it with helium as a normal test, connected the igniters, turned the key prepped everything ready to go, evacuated the area of our 50-yard radius. Right. And then there's our two-minute countdown, which is probably the most anxiety point of my life. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting there constantly running through my head because I'm usually the one who's in charge of assembling the engine. Mm -hmm. I've designed the engine. So the whole thing is my responsibility. And I'm sitting there running through my head. Okay, so I tightened <laughs> that bolt to the right torque. I, I connected the igniter here. I tightened this pipe to this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it comes down to five, four, three, two, one, ignition, and just, and it just shoots liquid nitrous out the back. There's no fire, there's no smoke, no nothing. So we call an abort and we do what's, we do a 10 minute hold, which is just our standard procedure for a hang fire. And safety, um, right? Yeah, it's a safety feature. Just in case something goes wrong. Now, the chances of anything happening with it are 
little to none, mm -hmm. but part of it is just to make sure the fire department's happy with us. Right. Always good. Yeah. 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 That's funny. We've had the fire marshal to one of our test fires before, which is really cool. Just to chill. And just, watch. Yeah. Just yeah. to watch the firing. Our first firing, actually. Oh, that was cool. Um, that was cool. So, yeah. So, Were they confident? I mean, just the fire chief was just like, oh, yeah, this is fine. Uh, he was he was a little wary of it the first time, but uh -huh. after he went through after he'd read through all our safety procedures and saw the firing, he was like, "Okay, you guys are fine. You know what you're doing." So, Kenny, tell me, okay, the moment the hydrogen, you know, yeah, the just, night after the night, I was tell just, me what you were thinking. My, in your head. my, I was just not today, <laughs> any day but today. Yeah, why it's, is it when we've got 15, 20 plus people with cameras? And you had an investor there too. Yeah, yeah, which uh, is okay, but you know, it happens. Yeah, we've had we've had investors at firings before. We have investors at firings all the time, mm -hmm. and generally it works. Yes, yes. this time it decided not to. So we, we go through our 10-minute hold. I rush out there with my army of four interns. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, literally that's did. a good image. Yeah, like, yeah. No, it's, it's me with the four interns in tow. They're like little ducklings. And I'm thinking, I'm sitting down and I'm thinking, oh my God, Kineo's running to go grab the rocket. He's going to bring it in here and fix it in front of us. Oh, yeah, and that's no. exactly what he did. <laughs> yep. I take them. I, 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 I disconnect it from the test stand, toss it over my shoulder. <laughs> waltz it right into the room and I start dissecting it so that way I can take a look to see what it was. And it turns out that the rocket candy did not ignite. So we recycle it. We put new rocket candy in there and we do this all right in front of the reporters. So people are there taking pictures of Very it. Very brave. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen any rocketry company do never that. Never do that. No. NASA. No I think Chris and I can vouch for that. I've never seen a rocket company that would have a, a last minute abort where like the engine doesn't light. And be fixing it a minute, you know, yeah. ten minutes but that, later. Like, that goes to that their technology. Days of delays, but this is the yeah. technology. Well, yeah, I mean, no, that's exactly yeah. That's this this yeah. engine has like six pieces to it. Yeah. So I mean, there's only so many places where it can fail. So it doesn't <laughs> yeah. take long. Yeah. <laughs> so so we recycle the engine. We we make new rocket candy. Well, new rocket candy. This mm. is still using the same materials that we had had used for the previous rocket candy. So this is actually the root of the problem. Mm -hmm. So we go to countdown again. So that two minute T minus two, and I'm sitting there again, running through my head. And so the first time I was sitting in the front of the area talking to Robin and just everybody else. Second time I'm in the back of the room hiding because yeah. I'm like, this is going to happen again. I know it. Yeah. My luck is just nah. because you didn't really, you didn't really spot that first time what exactly went wrong. Yeah, I just knew that the candy it didn't burn completely, so there was some residue from it in mm -hmm. the engine, mm -hmm. and that's. Not a good thing. Yeah. So I'm sitting in the back like, oh, please work, please work, please work, please work. And it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So we decide to scrub it. We also just run out of sugar, too. Mm -hmm. So we couldn't make any more rocket candy. Please tell me this is just, this, this is not regular sugar. It is. It's this just regular, regular table sugar. So we could have went to Publix and got like... Publix is a Florida grocery store. Yeah. But I mean, the engine, again, is so simple that we can do it with a lot of household products. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't ignite again. And this time we've run out of sugar, so there's no way we can recycle it again. But right. we just were like, okay, this. Even if we could, we're not maybe try not it again. try. Yeah, we'll have to do some more analysis to figure out what was going on. Mm -hmm. So we we save it again and let the reporters over and we answer questions and interview. It was still a productive yeah. day. Yeah, we we continued to yeah. go about it as if we had fired. Mm -hmm. We just had to play a little damage control. Yeah. But and to stop right there, though, like this is this is what the testing process. Oh yeah, is I mean like this wasn't. I mean, I, me looking yeah. at that, like, I wouldn't have said, oh, that was a failure. To me, like, Neither would the I. development, yeah. it's yeah. like, 
oh, okay, so something, yeah. something well, didn't go I as mean, expected. The, so the way, figure it out and go the way we look at it is the test wasn't finished. Right. Because right, the engine right. never ignited. So test 42 was not finished. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing. Uh, it's unfortunate that it was 42. Oh, no, they're oh, going. No, 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 they're no, reusing no. 42 no, again. No, we, oh, okay, we, good. We, we, already, we already fired 42, so that was yesterday's. Okay. Uh, yesterday okay. was 42. Okay. So well, I'll get to that later, but okay. but we fixed the issue. But so after all the reporters left and we closed out and finished explaining why we thought it didn't ignite, we took it apart again. And took a look at everything. And this time the rocket candy didn't ignite at all. So there was a little burn mark. I think mm-hmm. I sent Robin a picture of it actually mm-hmm. to show him what it looked like after yeah. I took it out. It was a, little, just a yeah. little brown cylinder with mm-hmm. some burn marks on it, but nothing had happened. It looks a lot like a very hard caramel stick. Mm-hmm. So we, we hit it with a blowtorch to try and get the rocket candy to ignite. And it just sizzles. It doesn't really burn Interesting. And mm-hmm. We posted a video of it shortly afterwards. So it turns That's out amazing transparency too. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, we, we looked at it as we could like some other rocket companies, I'm not going to name any names, just hide behind the curtain of secrecy and not say anything. Or we could be like, we could own up to it and wear a little leg on our face and be like, Hey, our rocket had some performance anxieties and this is why. Mm-hmm. So, so let's go to why then. Yeah. yeah. So one of our interns actually, I love our interns. He has a lot of experience with rocket candy because at UCF, they build rockets, model rockets that are powered by rocket candy, Mm -hmm. which is just potassium nitrate and sugar. And he said that he had had issues in Florida with the humidity saturating Mm. the sugar. Ah, so that's a good catch there. Uh, And I just want to shout out UCF has become a pipeline for the aerospace industry. Yeah, Yeah, the the, the three major universities in our area, really. So you've got UCF, you've got Embry-Riddle, and you've got Florida Tech. You've got an an intern from all three. And then our fourth intern is from Georgia Tech. Wow. So great school. Yeah, we've got we've got a very wide range of interns from different locations, Mm -hmm. which really helps get that broader spectrum. But anyway, so he had had experience with that, with the sugar being saturated. And he said that, be it in its powder form or in the candy form, so before we turn it into candy. So we actually made a second batch of rocket candy in front of the, the reporters as mm-hmm. well during the during the media day. So it was a fresh, a fresh, with air quotes, batch of rocket candy. But the sugar itself was over I, almost a year old, actually. So we'd been using the sugar for a really long time, mm-hmm. and it had just finally gotten to that point of saturation of moisture that it no longer would ignite. So it just looked like it was kind of boiling. Right. So we went to Walmart or Publix. Uh, we we actually went to Walmart because we went to Subway, which is over there as well. <laughs> um, Everybody's getting shout outs today. Yeah. Walmart, Publix. So you guys um, had to go get more sugar. Yeah, so we got more at sugar. Walmart. We went to Walmart, got more sugar, <laughs> and mixed that up with the potassium nitrate, hit that with the blowtorch in our little crucible, and, and so it kind of sounds like what happens just like when you leave a like a pack of sugar in your cabinet yeah. and like just after it a year if you don't use it. Yeah. Crunch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what happened. So we did some extensive testing with the rocket candy with a couple of different mixtures and we forced moisture into it to test it to see how it was and we added to our procedures to make sure that whenever we do a test fire, we test our rocket candy before we fire to make sure that it'll ignite properly. And if it doesn't, then we'll get new sugar. Mm-hmm. It's amazing to me that you went to Walmart to do this. Oh, yeah. I just, it, yeah, it, it just is... goes to show how you guys are innovating using just well, things that we've used I in mean, everyday life. It it's also has to do with the startup aspect mm-hmm. to it, too. So to, to give more credit to SpaceX, when they were first starting, 
to build some of their engines. I believe when I was reading the Elon Musk biography, they said they ended up going to a car parts spot to get parts to build their engines. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not just us who do, do it. It's, it's being scrappy. Exactly. It's it's trying to beat the odds and mm-hmm. making it however you can. You ended up successfully test firing number 42, yeah, so, right? Yeah. So, so this yeah, happened yesterday? Yeah. Monday morning, the 1st of July. Mm-hmm. Very, very nice for the prelude into the 4th of July. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, cool. we'll do another one tomorrow on the 3rd for the media again. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Robin's going to miss that. Yeah. Got to head out. So, so, so you test fired 42. Yes. Yeah, so we fired off 42 yesterday. And so we added a, a step in our procedure where instead of just dropping the rocket candy in there and crossing your fingers and hoping it ignites, mm-hmm. we now put a little bit into our crucible and fire it off ahead of time. So now we know for a fact that the candy will start it. Mm-hmm. And so we, we fired it off on Monday morning and everything performed exactly the way it should have. So instead of it being like a traditional hybrid or a solid where you end up seeing a much wider plume in it and you can actually see the mock diamonds in our engine. Oh, really? Yeah. So it I looks mean, it looks like a liquid bipropellant engine. And that's because of the mixing. Much more efficient combustion reaction. So we're also running at a much more optimized O to F ratio, which is the oxidizer to fuel ratio. So our engine is designed actually to run at a higher oxidizer to fuel ratio than what we're running at. But right now, our our test stand cannot produce enough oxidizer to the engine as fast as it's consuming the fuel because of the inherent improvements we've made to the engine. Mm. So we're seeing we're burning through the fuel faster than it was originally designed for because of the improvements we've made. So there's so you essentially just yeah, so a hotter booster. Exactly. So what you see in the in the plume is actually it's kind of a darker darker smoke that you see, and that is because we're running at a lower efficiency than what it should be running at. So there, it needs more nitrous, but we physically can't provide it more nitrous. So mm. this engine is hungry for more than what we can give it. Wow. So that's the next step on that engine is to improve the feed system to it so that way we can give it that nitrous it wants so that way it'll run at a more efficient level. So speaking of advancements, let's say you do a media day next year. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it goes better than last week. Well, hopefully we'll do where, it sooner yeah, than next year. Yeah. But let's say we're at a media day next year. You guys invite the media. Yeah. In. What, where will you be at a year from now? So we won't be doing the, the small, well, we'll still be doing lab scale testing, but mm-hmm. it won't be that particular engine. We'll be doing, because right now this engine's designed for testing the consistency from burn to burn mm-hmm. on the engines. A year from now, we'll have fired off and completed the 5,000 pound engine test series. So that's okay. that, that DARPA engine. The DARPA engine. <clears throat> that one, after that, we're, we're going to end up retiring that engine and no longer using that because that was originally designed before our newer injection methods and print methods were designed. So we've adapted little bits of it to work with our newer technology, but it's still not quite there because this engine originally was designed back in 2017. Right. And it's now 2019. So you've got two years of rapid development in a startup culture where it's just boom, 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 new tech. So we'll, we'll test that engine and it should, by the end of this fall, it'll end up getting retired. And at that point we'll be transitioning to the suborbital engine for our sounding rocket, the HMB. Mm-hmm. Uh, excited about that. Oh, I guess he's smiling right now. Yeah, that was, a, that was a good smile. I promise <laughs> you, Chris will not miss that test flight. Yeah, so, <laughs> so, so that engine is all based off of the new tech and there's some other goodies in there that we haven't publicly announced yet because mm-hmm. we're still in the process of filing the patents. But that one, 
is going to be a monster. Current design is a 36 kilonewton thrust engine that will burn for 25 seconds. Oh, wow. Wow. So this is, it's a, it's a little bit bigger than the DARPA engine mm -hmm. by thrust because that's a, a, about 800 or 8,000 some odd pounds of thrust. Mm -hmm. It burns for about the same duration as the DARPA engine. And it's a flight version. So instead of it having a big bulky steel case and mm -hmm. bulky steel and, or nozzle, it's going to have all flight weight components where it'll be all carbon fiber wrapped and it'll be sleek and sexy and it'll look like it's ready to fly. And then we'll drop that into the rocket and shoot her up yeah. and the first flight actually is limited by the faa we're doing it under an amateur license so we only have a maximum of 200,000 pound seconds of impulse that we can use mm -hmm. so we would like to get to the carmen line but because of how heavy it is it's not very likely to do it we're where actually, will you guys launch this right now we're looking at doing it either out of White Sands, New Mexico, mm -hmm. Spaceport, New America, or Kodiak. We haven't determined which one yet. Makes sense. Those, those are yeah. the two big sounding yeah. 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 development yeah. areas. Could they yeah. do wallops or no? So we talked to wallops, but they were very... Because that would be convenient for me because I live in New York. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah, so, so the problem with wallops is they aren't very big on experimental rockets. They want something that's been tested over and over and over again. Well, most, of, most of the time... Things go through white sands, then they go to wallops. Mm -hmm. True. Yeah, because all those sounding rockets yeah, that we yeah. see launching from wallops are tried and true. Exactly. So they, they started out at white sands, and then yeah. they make their way up to wallops. Mm -hmm. The goal right now is to do three flights with the HMB, and HMB stands for Hybrid Motor Baseline. So it's gonna after the first flight, the second flight we won't have that impulse limitation. So we're gonna make the engine on it bigger. Mm -hmm. the the oxidizer tank on it is going to be bigger the payload capacity will be bigger and that one will be able to go above the carmen line and it i i just cannot will you die you're just going to freak out when that happens no no that's that's not even the best one <laughs> no, that's not the best no, one so, so best reaching one. space which the carmen line is the yeah. sort of internationally recognized boundary to did they recently to, move it no they, no, no, not, no the no. international community AKA everyone but the United States has a different line. Of course. Than, so, yeah. so the, the true line is a hundred kilometers mm -hmm. and the U S now is saying it's 80 and that that's really to the benefit of Virgin Galactic. Yes. Yeah. Their spaceship yeah. too. Got there, but Just not yeah. above 80. Mm -hmm. but won't. Rando fact, but yeah. about this mismatch is it created an interesting situation last year when the Soyuz suffered its in-flight aboard where there was one Russian and one American on mm -hmm. that flight and it got to 96 wow. kilometers. Mm -hmm. So it fell four kilometers short of the Kármán line. So to Russia, it never made it to space. space. And Nick Haig, a NASA astronaut, did not make it to space. <laughs> but it crossed 80 kilometers, which is NASA's line. So for us, so NASA considers both occupants to have gone, and Russia considers neither of them to gone. Wow. So it was yeah. this weird, like when they relaunched in March, yeah. it was this like, how do you, what, what, what it, was it his first? Is it his second? Is yeah. it the third? Like nobody really knew, but it, it, yeah. it, it does get tricky. Like when you're trying to compare apples to yeah. apples. And, and, and that actually is a, is a big issue right now that I'm seeing in the internet between Blue Origin and Virgin Galactic too, with their commercial mm -hmm. flights, because they're both advertising that you're going to space now. But Blue actually gets Blue above actually the Carmen line. The yeah. So yeah. Blue gets like 20 kilometers above the Carmen yeah, line. Like, yeah, they, yeah. yeah. So it all depends on which If you're way. Russian or American. Yeah. <laughs> or British. Oh. 
They're, I don't know. They're British yeah, or they're, Amazon? Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, yeah. Yeah, we'll have so, to have the UN on the podcast to discuss this. Yeah, it's, it's, I know people there. Like. <laughs> it's really interesting. So, Kenny, what's the most exciting thing you're looking forward to in the next couple of years? You obviously talked yeah. about the sounding rocket yeah, so, and everything. So the sounding rocket is just the, the ice, or is just like the very beginning. The the final, well, it's not final, but the, the next big goal is going to be the Intrepid rocket. Mm. which is our cool name full up orbital Great rocket mm. and that one can bring about 500 kilograms to low earth orbit and nice. that's going to be the first orbital class hybrid rocket is it single stage no it's a, it's, it's a to do with two stage, two stage. okay so you've got the uh, base we've got two quad clustered engines so it's okay four in the four in the first stage and then four in the second stage yeah so what do you get to orbit in like four minutes <laughs> no it's it's about with the current design, it's about two and a half minutes, and it's past the time. Yeah, wow, my uh, his rocketry is my my, my <laughs> joke was like that was like four minutes was a short amount of time, and you're like oh half of that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, well, I mean, so I mean, it's if you think about it, the the Falcon is moving about the same speed. That's about. But you said five hundred minutes to orbit. Yeah, five hundred. Well, to orbit depends on how you define orbit because if you could define orbit as just skirting around the edge of the earth as it falls back down right or it could be a circularized final right orbit. right if you're talking the final orbit then it could be a matter of hours because the way orbital mechanics works is you can't yeah. just go up right. and get to orbit you have to go up get to a certain altitude and then coast for an extended period of time until you reach the apogee of your orbit and then burn and then circularize the yeah orbit. so it all depends but, but this on is what the rocket but yeah. yours will be able to do that yeah exactly. yeah yeah exactly that's really yeah. exciting. Well, so Kenny, like two minutes of powered flight yeah, and then you're coasting. That's really cool. Well, Kenio, thank you so much for dropping yeah. by. Yeah, and we could go on for more. I know we could. I know. Here's what I we'll know. do. We're going to obviously finish, wrap this podcast now, but I think I'm just going to call you in for a minute just to make <laughs> sure the media day is not awkward tomorrow and everything yeah. goes well. So we'll call you in in, in a couple days and we'll add it on sure. to this podcast. Chris, thank you so much for being on this podcast. I know you were on last week. Nice week. All right, everyone, we're back with Kinio. It's a week later or a little, it's a little under two weeks later. As we said just a few moments ago, we would be catching up with Kinio again. They had another media day. And rather than tell you what happened, I'm going to have Kinio describe it. Well, so the engine fired off normally. So we, we fixed the ignition issue. So everything on that end worked perfectly. But I don't know what it is, but it has something to do with having the media there. But it just really scares we're, that engine a little jinxed. too much. We, we yeah, yeah, you yeah. guys scare it or something. Either that or you guys are good luck charms and we'll find all of the issues whenever we have you guys there. Honestly, that's what it is, man. And, you know, just, just go back to saying this over and over again. When things like this happen, it's not a negative. And I feel like... No, space, no. I mean, we still learn industry, from it. Right. And these are opportunities to learn. I hate to bring back SpaceX all the time in these conversations, but this is exactly what they did. They failed and failed and failed. Well, we called it failures. They didn't. No, it's, and, it's, you, it's as long as you learn something, it's still a success. Right. Exactly. So just where we were last time was you guys had this media day. It didn't quite go as you planned, but you discovered some things about humidity and how it affects your rocket and things like that. Yeah. Um, and then you had a second media day, which was after we taped the first part of this podcast. So yeah. let's let's walk through it. You had the media there. There was, by the way, there was tons of media there for the second day as well. Yeah. I saw that Jeff Faust had shown up yep. for Space News. Yeah, um, we also I, had John Krause there. John Krause. Actual yes. photos. 
Yeah, he's probably the best, one of the best spaceflight photographers For in the sure. world. He showed up and he shot some really great stuff. I, me and him were texting each other during the event. He was like, man, I got some really great shots. He published them. You guys published yeah, them too. Yeah, I, I spent too much money on those shots too. Honestly, <laughs> buying John Krause prints, are they're, valu- they're worth the money. Oh yeah, so, definitely. So it was really cool for you to get, you guys to have some of those great space reporters like Jeff Faust, like John Krause. You had the local stations as well, which is really amazing. I saw the coverage. They talked about the misfire, but there was a positive spin on all the coverage. It's like, hey, this company is building an engine and a rocket, yeah, which no I mean, one else has done before. Yeah, so. and I mean, even though the the engine had an issue, it was able to shut itself down right. and with almost no issues at all. So, I mean... What happened is we had a seal on the igniter housing. So again, it was the igniters that caused an issue. Um, mm-hmm. This time it was after it started, the seal burst, which I mean, that, that happens from time to time with a lot of engines. I mean, it even happens with your car engine. Seals right. fail. So, But the engine detected that failure and then shut it down safely. So, I mean, if something like this happened on the launch pad with mm-hmm. most other engines, if the seal fails, kablooey. Right. Whereas mm-hmm. with us, it can just turn itself off. So... I know we, you know, earlier in the podcast, we talked about, you know, the little awkwardness there was the first media day. It's always a high pressure situation. And you guys put yourself in another high pressure situation. A week later. (laughs) A week later. And just describe that experience going into it a second time. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry to be laughing at you, Kenny. No, that's fine. That's fine. I I laugh at myself for the same thing. You know, I just think that. We have a lot of fun in space exploration. It's all not, it's not all business. Sometimes these mishaps or, you know, whatever you want to call them, sometimes they happen, you, you evaluate. And then afterwards you kind of make fun of it. Cause if if you don't, if you don't stay positive about these things, you're never going to get any work done. But Kenny, just walk us through the day. So, so we had them all come in, we rolled out. Actually, a lot of the reporters showed up a lot later this time. They showed up maybe five, 10 minutes right before firing. So we had Mm -hmm. to actually safe the system after we pressurized it with helium to get them over there to set up their cameras right. just because they dragged their feet this time. But I, mm-hmm. I guess they'd been up late the day before doing other things, just like the space, the previous media day. We had something with... We got to work on that timing, Kenny. Yeah. We got to work on that oh, timing. Yeah, for the yeah, apparently. <laughs> so, so they got there, we got everything set up and we went through our anxiety countdown, which I hate that so much. That two minutes is evil. So we go through that, and it fires up, it lights up, hooray, everybody's excited, and then I see a poof of black smoke coming from oh. the front end of the engine. I'm like, that's not a good, that, that's not where smoke's supposed to come from. It's supposed to come right. from the back. And then right. it shuts itself off. And I'm just like, oh, no. The seal, because I, I know almost immediately looking at it from that, that that's what it was, because there's right. a, no other real thing that could cause that kind of puff that isn't like, say, a burn through in the side of the case, and that you really can tell if that happens. So it was obvious that that was what failed. So, I mean, we were able to diagnose it just from watching the video there. I mean, obviously, we didn't know 100% for sure until we went and looked at it. But just from the video, we almost knew immediately what the problem was. What was your immediate, like, okay, what do I do now? What was your immediate thing that that you did? I know the first... The first media day, from my perspective, you guys went right into action. You went out there, yeah. you grabbed it. I wasn't there this time, unfortunately. Yeah. Tell me what you did right afterwards. So because we actually had physical damage to the to the engine, in this case, it was just the igniters, we, we scrubbed it just because we didn't want to, in case there was some other issue that had occurred that we weren't aware of just from looking at it observationally, because we could have just recycled it and fired it again. 
it's like if the spark plug in your engine blew, you could easily just pop it out and pop a new one in and then continue on. But we wanted to take it apart and examine every single piece in it to make sure that there was nothing else that went wrong. Luckily, that was the only issue that went on. So starting later that afternoon, I sat down with the rest of the engineering team and we discussed the issue. This is something we've been afraid could happen before because if you notice in our engine, we've got a wire sticking down the back end of the engine when we start it. Mm-hmm. So that's because the igniter is ignited through an electrical wire through the back. And we're working on a design to make it work from the front end there. So mm-hmm. the wire isn't coming from the port, but we've been having issues with the just the amount of heat produced by the engine melting any pass-through seals we've been using. Now that we've got the engine burning stable, we can now focus all of our energy on the ignition system. So we sat down and strategized a system to improve that even further than we had for the rebuild from the second media for the second media day. Mm-hmm. And then we now we've got a new design that we're finishing up right now and we'll send that off to the machine shops by the end of the week. And hopefully within the next week or two we'll be back to firing again. Whenever you guys do your next firing or media day, I will definitely be down there. <laughs> to make sure things go okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll make sure the media shows up on time this time. How about that? Yeah, That's yeah, my, go, go, that'll go be my thing. Up and, uh, get you the <laughs> trumpet and you can dup it up. Start setting off alarms for people. You see, yeah. the first media day, you did r- literally hours after the Falcon Heavy launch. Yeah. And then the next media day was right after the Orion abort test. Exactly. So I don't know. It's maybe maybe we need to work on that timing. Yeah. I have to admit, the first media day, I did have some input on that day being chosen, which yeah. I have to take some responsibility for. Well, but, I mean, um, if SpaceX <laughs> hadn't moved the launch, then right. we wouldn't have had that problem. Exactly. So that's what we were planning for. But anyway, I'm really happy that you guys are working through all this stuff. And like I said, from what I've seen, it was a really positive experience from all the reporters who were there for the second media day. Some headlines were talking about how bleeding edge your technology is. And, you know, some of them are talking about what you guys are doing in terms of your long term vision, your DARPA contract. So I think that at the end of the day, it was this whole like media day thing. It's not a negative in any in any form, I think people appreciate the transparency. Yeah. And it, like I, we mentioned earlier in this podcast, it's not a, a common thing to see a company like yours so early on, you know, at, at least early on in this particular phase of your development, building this engine to show this stuff to the world. Yeah, I mean, very it's, it's, a very, it's a very delicate dance, too, because I yes. mean, if you think about it, we've got all the legal restrictions with ITAR and mm-hmm. other governmental restrictions. We also have to protect our intellectual property. Right. But there's also this newfound wave of interest in space and space access and mm-hmm. inspiring the next generation of engineers and scientists. And if the more open and transparent we can be about that, the more we can inspire the next generation. Right. And I think that the companies that have that sort of philosophy, your neighbor down the block, SpaceX, they have that same philosophy. I think a lot of new space companies, Launcher here in Brooklyn, yes, they want to build a product and they want to sell that product, but they also have this line of like, hey, we're part of this growing industry where we want to inspire humanity. We want to do some good, fast and reliable and cheap space access is transforming the world in, in very various ways. And exactly. a lot of companies are following behind that, which is great. Rocket Crafters is one of them, Launcher. And just all these companies that are popping up now. 
I mean, a lot of the employees at these companies grew up watching Star Wars and Star exactly. Trek and all that. Exactly. And like, they just want to go to space, and the best way to do it is to build your own spaceship. Okay, to wrap this up, Kenyo, which one are you, Star Wars or Star Trek? Oh, that's really hard. I really like them both, but I'd probably have to go with Star Wars. Okay, all right. We'll fight about this in the future. Okay. <laughs> no, I love Star All Wars, right. so obviously. Well, Kenio, thank you so much for the update. Thank you, Robert. We will be having you on the podcast again, probably in a couple months. We'll catch up with you guys, and, and I'll definitely be at the next media day. We can do some stuff. In the article section of this podcast, please check out some really great Polaroids we took of Kenio and his team. I mean, just a oh, rocket family's family. Really great group of people. You're right there at Cocoa Beach. The the area where you guys are situated in. So I've been driving to Cocoa and Cape Canaveral for years now, four or five years now working my job. I always pass this little industrial zone. It's called Industry Road, actually. It is. It is. And I always wondered what was back there. It, it seems very industrial. There's like, yeah. I don't know, just fueling stuff and I don't even, I don't know how to describe it. It just seems like an industrial park. There's stuff tucked away behind it. I never knew what was back there. And then one day I ran into Kinio at Yuri's night with the first Yuri's night at Cape Canaveral. I ran into Kinio. The first thing he did was show me a test fire on his phone. And I automatically was intrigued and I wanted to visit. Found out that they're the ones back there <laughs> hiding out in the back of the industry road. And just maybe a year or two later, SpaceX is now their neighbor, and that's where they're building the first Starship prototype. That's the place to be now, Kenio, that little yeah. corner. Industry yeah, Road. we're right on the corner there. <laughs> so thank you so much for being on the show. Like I said, I can't wait to have you on again. And uh, we'll be keeping an eye on, on Rocket Crafters and catching up with you guys soon, okay? Thanks, Robin. This was fun. All right, Kenio. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye.